0: So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co author, co futurist, and co host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil, how are you? Well, I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Well, I am
1: barely distinguishable from magic, Phil. So. <laughs> Wow, way to co-opt the title of the show. I like it. Yeah, that's, that's I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah, uh, looking, some looking would beg to, to differ.
0: Show. I think you're highly distinguishable from magic. No. Go
1: ahead. I was just going to say. I was just going to say it's. Uh, we, we got an exciting show tonight. This obviously is a uh, is a reference to. Uh, I, I believe we've said that uh, it's, it's probable that uh, was it William Gibson that uh, said this at some point, or uh, actually this uh, is Arthur C. Clarke actually Arthur C. Clarke on this one. Yeah, Okay. Any sufficiently
0: yeah. advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. From magic. So I've, I, right. I took it back one notch. I took it down a half a peg here, and I said these are barely distinguishable from magic. Okay, I don't know that right. I don't know that they, they they rise to indistinguishable, except maybe for the last one. Okay, so we'll, we'll get to we'll get to the third one, and we're getting pretty close by the time you get to that third one. But, but the first two, they're pretty big.
1: <laughs> but but I still think we pretty can pretty close. These. And and this is from the point of view of, of us living in this time. I That's mean, right. Uh, <laughs> if you if you if, if you went back twenty years and you showed the, this technology to somebody, they you know. I don't know. They might think about burning you at the stake. It's pretty. It's it's pretty close, isn't it? So yeah, well, I don't
0: know if they were burning too many people at the stake 20 years ago. But go back 150 years, and uh, <laughs> you might have to go a little further, right? Yeah, but, uh, you can. You, you could definitely stir some things witch. up with some of these technologies. <laughs> All right. exactly. All right, so let's. Yeah, let's let's get into it. Let's talk about some of these. This this is just so cool. Craig Venter's digital to biological converter is real, and. Uh, I almost called this show "Printing Human Babies on Mars," just because I think that's maybe a higher concept title for a show. And if if I'd been you know more more in the mood for using that kind of title, I would have been. But but that's the that's where this technology goes. Okay, that's what uh, Venter is talking about. He says, "Hey, you know what? We're going to push out into space." You don't want to load up spaceships as arcs, you know, the way it may have been pictured at one time in the past, two of every species off into space to to spread Earth's biodiversity throughout the, the universe. What you want is you want to use information technology as a means of printing out biological entities uh, wherever you happen to be. And that, that can be here on Earth. I mean, the the, the only application isn't for it isn't just in space, uh, this, is, this is an idea basically for uh, a digital bi- to biological converter. It's a machine that's basically going to take raw materials and turn them into living things using a digital code rather than a genetic code, which of course is its own information code in its own right, uh, to, to make it happen. We, we were talking uh, on yesterday's show about narrow... AI and, and narrow 3D printing. Here's kind of a very complex narrow 3D printer, right? Uh, interesting, interesting application for for a printer that maybe people haven't thought about before. But if you if you take your chemical building blocks of life and you have the right program, you can basically build any living thing you want with this machine.
1: Yeah, um, that, that's amazing, isn't it? And uh, and and so he he calls it. Uh Venter calls it like a biological transporter. Is what he refers. to. Yeah,
0: that, that one one of the ways he refers to it because that's what you would do. You, you, you send information through space, and then what comes out on the other side is whatever whatever it was that was described in the in the pattern that that you wanted. I mean, basically, it's a lot like the transporter, right? Yeah. Without without there being any. Illusion that what ends up on the other side is the thing that was sent. We know it's a copy, right? We know that we're right. printing out a, co- a copy of uh, of what was sent. But down to earth, back home, a lot of great potential applications for something like this around uh, synthesizing medications. Um, probably all kinds of advanced, not not just pharmaceuticals, but other biotech processes that are that are being developed we talked about some of those yesterday around around CRISPR basically anything any cool new thing now that you come up with that is a living thing or that is biologically based this is the way to make it simple and straightforward and easy to produce and you know and really in a lot in a lot the same way that computing has kind of taken over the the data world it now starts to really get a Foot in the door on the biological world here now, doesn't it?
1: It does, and and this is one of the uh, enabling technologies for something like a von Neumann probe. Right. You know, we'd send out into the galaxy. It would find a planet and then start. Producing biological life on that planet, and uh, that's that's the way you colonize the the galaxy—a um, a simple way. And you know, you, and why can you do that? Because it'd be, it's so much cheaper to send a small little probe, you know, the size of a tin can, let's say. Um, instead of uh, you know the star starship, starship enterprise it's just uh, you know it's it, it, the amount of mass that are required is there is smaller therefore the amount of uh, energy required to move is so much smaller for for something like that so it's uh, you know if if we're able to do that to build whatever we want um, you know that, that's the way to, that's the way to make it happen so absolutely interesting. and closer
0: to home if yeah. uh, if you want to look at a way to completely revolutionize the supply chain for pharmaceuticals, particularly where anything synthesized from proteins is concerned, this would be the way to do it, right? Right. Instead of having one plant...
1: We learn in in Atlanta the uh, cure to some disease and around the world, uh, it begins synthesizing an an antibody or whatever is needed on the the opposite side of the world uh, just because all you need is the information and then you, you print what you need. Uh, so you, you, that's, yeah, that's,
0: send, send the info there, and the you start printing it out. The great yep. thing is, if tomorrow it's something else you need, you just plug in different information, and you're building out of the exact same building blocks you were before. Not,
1: none of this, yeah. you know, get yeah, right chemicals it's, together. And, <laughs> it's, it's always four chemicals, uh, you know, in, in DNA. Um, right.
0: And, exactly. As long as you got, so. as
1: long as you got those. Right. As, as
0: long as you got. Uh, the RGB, you, your color printer can print out anything, right? It's, that's the analogy. You can you can make uh, you can make any protein as long as you've got um, as long as you've got those four chemicals: adenine, cytosine, guanine, and thymine. That's, that's the key. That's that's the ticket laddie, as as Scotty might say. So there you go. That is pretty impressive stuff. Pretty exciting, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing more about this. I think this this is just uh, sort of an early statement of what this technology will be, and I think we're only beginning to get our heads around the potential implications of something like this. I like the big ones. I like the idea of, you know, printing out human babies on Mars from Earth. (laughs) I think that's awesome. Or enabling von Neumann probes. But...
1: The, and, and you know, once once you're digitized, Phil, I mean, that I yeah. mean, you could pop over to Mars, you know, in about 25 minutes, and uh, you know, walk around and and whatever body that's synthesized for you there, and. Know, have your Martian adventure and be, and be back home in time for dinner, right? So there you go, exactly. So, yeah. So that's pretty magic, there. I, I would say that that's barely distinguishable from magic. It's barely distinguishable from magic, absolutely. All right.
0: Well, let's talk about another one here because we got we got two more of these to get to. How about this? Sound waves direct particles to self-assemble and self-heal. This, you know, what's interesting about this story is just the absolute simplicity of what's going on here, and the Complexity that arises from that simplicity, or the just just the amazing, unexpected orderly behavior, I, I suppose, that emerges from from this very simple stimulation of these uh, of, of these particles. Basically, you're you're taking molecules, um, you're directing sound waves at them to see what happens, and what happens is. Uh, these these organizational principles kick in and they begin to self-assemble in ways that we wouldn't have understood. Now, it looks kind of like life. Obviously, it isn't. It's not like you can hit dead molecules with the right sounds and they will literally come to life. But it would appear that the underlying physics here tells us, potentially can tell us, some really important things about Kind of the underlying organizational principles that make life possible, and so this is this is this technology that can enable us to do all kinds of new things with with matter that we hadn't thought about doing before by you know manipulating it uh, via sound, but also maybe potentially opens up a new understanding to how a much more sophisticated system biology actually works. It gives us kind of a a peek under the covers there that we might not have been able to. To get by any other means. It, it, you know, this also kind of reminds me of uh, Sheldon on uh, 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 the Big Bang Theory, uh, who basically believes that all science is physics, right, and everything else is pretty much commentary, right? <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's right doesn 't this sort of take biology and, and sum it back up into physics right i mean it's kind of, it 's kind of what you see happening here is uh, oh, now now we can start to understand these principles because they 're happening in physics right rather than
1: uh... <laughs> well you know um, i you know there's what what is the technology that uh, the, that is a you know uh, a perspective technology that uh, it, it's like a cloud uh, oh gosh i I'm, I'm having trouble uh, thinking the, uh, of the word, oh, yeah uh, sure I, I know what you mean. Um, utility fog. Yeah, utility fog. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, what if uh, you know this—the uh, ability to direct the the fog uh, and to sell and to assemble in different ways. Uh, you know, perhaps sound is one of the tools to get utility fog to work. You know, who knows? So uh, entirely
0: possible. I mean, that's that's the thing. When when you look at these organizi- organizing principles, you say, well, what good is that? what can we do with that but entirely possible that that one of the things it might be good for is using this as a triggering mechanism like a switching mechanism for all kinds of more advanced applications in nanotechnology and you know other kind of underlying or supported applications that you're that that you're putting in place at that at that very small level i love that idea too anyway that yeah. uh, you know, you know that we just send out these these sonic emissions and and basically tell our utility fog what to do right basically uh, control it from that standpoint and also not to take it too far afield but I've already started the sentence so now I have to isn't that kind of moving matter with sound isn't that the basis for the technology in Dune right isn't that how things work gonna- in <laughs>
1: Oh uh, yes yeah, so the uh the weirding module yeah 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 we we will not you know, and uh that that's indistinguishable from magic right there that's that's uh once you are <laughs> you go to, yeah once you once you can uh, uh you have a, your weirding module, you got it then uh yeah, but i mean uh i you know i had I had the joke of uh you know wanting a bumper sticker that says my other car is Utility fog is, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, you know, yeah. Yeah, this is a piece of junk, but my other, my other automobile is utility fog. The reason that's a joke is because obviously if you had utility fog, you could have any car you want. <laughs> right. You'd be driving yeah. that car around, right? You yeah. You know, and, and when you're tired of it it becomes a different car or or the or furniture to sit on or whatever you need, right? Um, so, utility fog is like the ultimate physical good. I mean, once it's uh, once you have it, it can be anything you need. Um, you know, I, I imagine besides food, and uh, it can help you uh, obtain food. So, it's uh, that's that's a that's a huge technology, and and perhaps uh, perhaps sound is one of the ways uh, one of the tools that uh, to manipulate it. Uh, Ultimately, so
0: could could be. It's it's very interesting that this this all comes down to a state they call non-equilibrium. Basically, messing with particles, right? Particles that have been messed with, they've been bounced out of their their comfort zone, if if I may use a completely (laughs) non-appropriate analogy there. But, But 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 it's interesting if you if you mess with if you mess with these particles, you you achieve this state which is apparently critical to biology and also to other systems, like they, they talk about the, uh, the ecosystem, they talk about weather. All of these are kind of driven by these, th- this uh, non-equilibrium. So there's a really powerful principle at work here that we're only just beginning to kind of get a get a handle on. And I, I think about I think about things like uh, you look at uh, interesting fractal images, right? Where a very simple mathematical formula produces this really complex and, and detailed and intriguing graphical image. I think there's something kind of similar at work here, right, where maybe even just a few simple sounds applied to, uh, to po- molecules, to, to matter in a, in a non-equilibrium state, um, can lead to much more sophisticated configurations of that matter. It could be that, you know, it's not just the sound piece of it, but this whole non-equilibrium state Piece of the equation could could really be a real driver behind nanotechnology, and maybe who knows, even something like ultimately like like utility fog one of these days.
1: It's 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 cool stuff. It's really cool stuff, and and, and who knows, uh, you know, blurring the distinction between life and non-life. You know, in some ways. Um, um, and he, uh, I've, it it I've does. Always,
0: yeah, I mean, you know, it, it 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 makes you stop and and reflect,
1: right, yeah. on where you
0: draw the where you draw the line between uh b- between between those those different categories i mean th- that's a hard dr- line to draw anyway i think in right. a lot of ways but but, but this intru- th- this this introduces this uh, what they describe as healing i don't know i don't know if you'd call it healing but you but you see the basically you see the particles trying to get back to a state of equilibrium and they're not really uh, you, you know, there's nothing really trying to do anything but it but but it is inherent behavior built into the laws of physics that we we often see playing out at a biological level, but it turns out can also play out at just a very simplistic material level, and who knows for potentially fantastic applications. Plus,
1: I, I got to say it's just cool, right? I mean, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> sound well, waves direct particles on the on, the on the level of magic. Uh, you know, where, where would you put this compared to the first one, the digital to biological converter versus sound waves to direct uh, particles? This is dissolve. as magical. Um,
0: but I, but I, I don't see the. It's like the benefit is a little hidden, right? Yeah. This is this is more like a magic trick, right? <laughs> the 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 first one is like we've discovered this really powerful magic spell, right? The 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 next one is like oh, this is very magic, but it's it's more like a a stage trick. Um, what the what the application of it is not as immediately apparent as as it was with the uh, with the first one. But I'll say one other thing about this. This this could be an area where one of the technologies we talked about on yesterday's show, could really kick in, and that's deep learning. You know, the combination of uh, the kind of feedback-based improvement of processes that is involved in deep learning and this sort of new understanding of how matter can be organized starting from a non-equilibrium state who knows what, you know where that might lead? Except again, I I don't know why, but I keep coming back to it. You brought it up originally, but utility fog, right? I mean, it seems like right. you, you put those two things together, and you're you're getting pretty close to utility fog, aren't you?
1: Well, and imagine a uh, a brain, a, a computer brain, let's say, that could uh, could uh, rearrange itself as as needed to do different tasks, let's say. And so it's you're not you're not limited to the uh, the motherboard on, on, you know, on your laptop. There, Phil. you you know, what if uh, what if your machine needs to be organized in some completely new and unique way to, right. to accomplish a task? Well, imagine a computer that could do that just by moving around, you know, uh, its connections. Um, uh, that could be uniquely powerful. And uh, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A few a few highly highly defined
0: sound signals coming in just the right order. And it reconfigures itself into this completely yeah, it different.
1: it reconfigures its own hardware. This is not software yeah. anymore. Right,
0: that's, right. That's, yeah, that's, the hardware uh, itself is being reshaped.
1: That's pretty amazing. That's yeah, that, that's getting close. That's getting close.
0: That is getting pretty close. Okay, now it's, it's now now we're closer to a magic spell than a magic trick. Okay, so finally, uh, we've got we got real magic here, right? This one is 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 if anyone does it, I think this is indistinguishable from magic. But even talking about it, it's barely distinguishable. The idea of creating a new universe in the lab is no joke. This is a, this is a serious idea, and what makes it serious is our understanding of inflation theory, right? The, the idea that, that space and matter and energy can grow rapidly from basically a particle which, which is a crazy-sounding idea. It sounds like, you know, the ultimate free lunch. And I think inflation has actually been described in those terms as the ultimate free lunch. But it's also kind of a core, under underlying principle around how our universe came into being. I, I think that uh, it's pretty much accepted now that our universe is part of the, what's called the Big Bang. Went through this huge inflationary epoch, where essentially something that was smaller than the smallest particle became this vast universe, right, light years across with all this stuff in it and all this complexity in it. And the laws of physics not only allow for that, they pretty much insist that it will happen given the right set of circumstances. And lo and behold, according to cosmologist Alex Velinkin at Tufts University, we could create those conditions. Those those conditions are not something that um, can only occur in the most exotic, beginnings of this universe that we live in, but they are potentially something that we could create an environment that would produce those. Now we haven't done it yet. And I think that's probably good that that we haven't. um, And it's probably going to be a while before we ever do do an experiment that that makes that happen. But essentially if you've got the large Hadron collider, you've got the capability potentially to create a particle called a monopole. Hasn't been found yet but they say it should exist, and if inflation occurs, it, it should be possible to generate one of those. And a monopole is a basic elementary particle of the universe that can inflate into an entire universe of its own. So, I don't know. Stephen, are you worried about this at all, that, uh, that somebody's going to start a new universe uh, in a lab accidentally one of these days? <laughs> Where do you put this one in just in terms of plausibility, I suppose?
1: Well, I, I think that it is somewhat plausible, and I, and you know, I know that uh, they're, they're saying that you know this would it's sort of like the mini black holes that they've uh, that they've worked with, right? I mean, um, that I've always kind of thought to myself that uh, well, the reason you're doing this, guys, is because you want to learn from them, right? Yeah, and, and you say that in one, you know, and in one breath. We, we know that that's the case. You're doing it because you want to learn what, about these things. But then in the next breath, you're telling us that there's no possibility it could be dangerous. <laughs> well, then what do you have to learn from it then, right? If you already know everything there is to know and know that it can't be dangerous because you already know everything there is to know about it, then, uh, then why do you need to do it? Uh, and so i don 't know that 's a good argument against it i i i I rarely find myself in a situation where i want to argue against uh you know experimental science but uh that, it it strikes me as a a little bit dangerous and so, well
0: here's here 's the part that got my attention okay let me let me read a little section here where they talk about uh what you do with a monopole once you have one okay yeah okay. If we could impart enough energy to a monopole, it will start to inflate. Rather than growing in size within our universe, the expanding monopole would bend space-time within the accelerator to create a tiny wormhole tunnel leading to a separate region of space. From within our lab, we would see only the mouth of the wormhole. It would appear to us as a mini black hole, so small as to be utterly harmless. But if we could travel into that wormhole, we would pass through a gateway into a rapidly expanding baby universe that we had created. So cool, right? I mean, that's awesome. Uh, everything about that sounds great. But the question I have is: Are we a hundred percent sure that it would do it adjacent <laughs> to this universe? That it would slide <laughs> off and do a? Spa- what
1: about that giant cold region that we don't understand why it should be there? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah. you know, in, in space, <laughs> that uh, we, you know, that it's been postulated that that's uh, you know where we bumped into another universe within the multiverse, right? And that's right. Why we, there's this giant empty place in the uh, in the universe, uh, in our universe. Well, I don't want that giant empty place to be anywhere near me, right? Um, yeah. I mean,
0: to, to use a Star Trek analogy, what happens when you detonate the Genesis device on a planet that already has life, right? <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you start inflation in a universe that's already been inflated? Yeah. Are you and, sure it goes someplace else?
1: Yeah, you know. the, and the Klingon says, I rest my case. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a weapon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. So, so uh,
0: you know, I, I think the, uh, the the potential dangers uh, and downsides are something that you really have to look You can't be too careful looking at that before you go about, uh, uh, about making something like this happen. Although they quote our friend Anders Sandberg, um, and he argues that the proliferation of intelligent life, regardless of form, can be taken as something that has inherent value. So... He would say that cosmogenesis might actually be a moral obligation. It's something we have to do ultimately, um, if we're if we're good, responsible stewards of the of the cosmos. We're gonna we're gonna create as much complexity. We're gonna generate as as many intelligent beings as we possibly can. That's an interesting we, philosophical argument.
1: And, but and, may, and maybe even uh, uh, generate as many universes where life can grow as possible too. Right. So exactly. Yeah. I mean, so that's part that's, of the, that's the idea. Yeah. Well,
0: and caution I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I just want to make sure we're not wiping them out in this one first right? It's <laughs> that's, like, right.
1: that's right that's right it, it, it because if it's a zero
0: sum game I, I would rather just win. It's like I'm already here, so um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. this life is pretty good uh you you'd, you'd have to you'd have to have a promise of a really, really good universe to say it's worth erasing this one for and of course, they're not saying that it would and and maybe maybe that's a silly thing to worry about. But I couldn't help but think about it, so uh, you know I, I think it's worth probably probably being cautious along those lines and along lots of other lines. I mean the other thing they mention is if you start a universe, you're also responsible for all the horrible suffering that goes on in there right if If, in fact, our universe was created right th- by similar means, if some scientist in another universe got a monopole and grew this universe in a lab, that scientist. Is ultimately, I guess, responsible for all the horrible things that have happened in this universe so far. Um, is,
1: you know, all, all the good too. I don't know. Oh,
0: all yeah. the good, of course. Yeah. Yes,
1: so, but I don't know.
0: You know, uh, we'll take the good for granted, right? Is it is it okay to create all the, to create all that suffering? At least that's one of the questions that you have to be aware of. But then we come back to Anders, and Anders says, "Yes, it's worth it. It's worth it even to create all that suffering because I'm glad I'm I'm alive here in this universe." You know, I, I would say if that guy did that. I'm grateful he did it, right? <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah, that's <I'm>, right. Because <laughs> we're I'm, here. That's I'm right. glad to be here having this conversation. So, on that note, as long as you get you know, at least a Phil and Stephen out of the deal, just cre- keep creating universes. <laughs> I guess
1: that's the... Oh, gosh. We're not that, that egocentric. Uh, we, we, <laughs> no, try, it's more but...
0: solipsistic, I think, than anything else. Uh... <laughs> We kid, but as long as you we get the can. world transformed out of the deal, I suppose that's really the issue. Okay, so fun stuff. There you go. Barely distinguishable from magic. I think we had the first two that were barely distinguishable. The third one, the monopole is basically magic, right? It's it's kind of a magic token. Um, it, granted, it is science, but it's science of such of such a level of sophistication that even to technologically literate educated modern people like ourselves it really just sounds like magic doesn't it yeah yeah for sure i mean inflation it, just sounds like magic to me I, it it doesn't make any sense at all it just sounds like uh
1: something from it, nothing it just doesn't doesn't really compute with our with our daily experience does it, it right it doesn't really right. doesn't really jibe with what we we know but that's, you know uh, that's, it's, uh, that's physics for you
0: <laughs> yeah and they tell us our universe wouldn't be here without it so I guess that's the, that's the bottom line is ultimately science is barely distinguishable from magic you don't even need the sufficiently advanced technologies well that's it for this edition of the World Transformed uh, great talking with you Stephen we're going to be back again on Friday with a brand new show we're going to also be doing some other geek so we look forward to being with you all then and until next time live to see it